section thirty of india persia mesopotamia and palestine this is a librivox recording all librivox recordings are in the public domain for more information or to volunteer please visit LibriVox.org. the world's story volume two india persia mesopotamia and palestine edited by eva march tappan section thirty on the march with aurangzeb reigned from sixteen hundred and fifty eight to seventeen hundred and seven by francois bernier aurangzeb was a son of the shah jahan who built the wonderful taj mahal aurangzeb overcame his brothers and later put them to death he imprisoned his father and proclaimed himself emperor the editor this is indeed slow and solemn marching what we here call a la mogul lahore is little more than one hundred and twenty leagues or about fifteen days journey from delhi and we have been nearly two months on the road the king it is true together with the greater part of the army diverged from the highway in search of better ground for the sports of the field and for the convenience of obtaining the water of the gemna which we had gone in search of to the right and we leisurely skirted its bank hunting and shooting amid grass so high as almost to conceal our horsemen but abounding in every kind of game we are now in a good town enjoying repose and i cannot better employ my time than in committing to paper the various particulars which have engaged my mind since i quitted delhi soon i hope to conduct you to kashmir and to show you one of the most beautiful countries in the world whenever the king travels in military pomp he has always two private camps that is to say two separate bodies of tents one of these camps being constantly a day in advance of the other the king is sure to find at the end of every journey a camp fully prepared for his reception it is for this reason that these separate bodies of tents are called paishkanis or houses which precede the two paishkanis are nearly equal and to transport one of them the aid of more than sixty elephants two hundred camels one hundred mules and one hundred men porters is required the most bulky things are carried by the elephants such as the large tents with their heavy poles which on account of their great length and weight are made so as to be taken down into three pieces the smaller tents are borne by the camels and the luggage and kitchen utensils by the mules to the porters are confided the lighter and more valuable articles as the porcelain used at the king's table the painted and gilt beds and those rich carguan cabinets of which i shall speak hereafter one of the paishkanis has no sooner reached the place intended for the new encampment than the grand quartermaster selects some fine situation for the king's tents paying however as much attention as possible to the exact symmetry of the whole camp he then marks out a square each side of which measures more than three hundred ordinary paces a hundred pioneers presently clear and level this space raising square platforms of earth on which they pitch the tents 
the whole of this extensive square is then encompassed with kanates or screens seven or eight feet in height secured by cords attached to pegs and by poles fixed two by two in the ground at every ten paces one pole within and the other without and each leaning upon the other the kanates are made of strong cloth lined with printed indian calico representing large vases of flowers the royal entrance which is spacious and magnificent is in the centre of one of the sides of the square and the flowered calico of which it is composed as well as that which lines the whole exterior face of this side of the square is of much finer texture and richer than the rest the first and largest tent erected in the royal camp is named amkas being the place where the king and all the nobility keep the mokam that is where they assemble at nine o'clock in the morning for the purpose of deliberating on affairs of state and of administering justice the kings of hindustan seldom fail even when in the field to hold this assembly twice during the twenty-four hours the same as when in the capital the custom is regarded as a matter of law and duty and the observance of it is rarely neglected the second tent little inferior in size and somewhat farther within the enclosure is called the gosselkana or the place for bathing it is here that all the nobility meet every evening to pay their obeisance to the king in the same manner as when the court is at delhi this evening assembly subjects the omrahs to much inconvenience but it is a grand and imposing spectacle in a dark night to behold when standing at some distance long rows of torches lighting these nobles through extended lanes of tents to the gosokani and attending them back again to their own quarters these flambeaux although not made of wax like ours in france burn a long time they merely consist of a piece of iron hafted in a stick and surrounded at the extremity with linen rags steeped in oil which are renewed as occasion requires by the masalkis or link boys who carry the oil in long narrow neck vessels of iron or brass still deeper in the square is the third tent smaller than those i have spoken of called kalawet kani the retired spot or the place of the privy council to this tent none but the principal ministers of state have access and it is here that all the important concerns of the kingdom are transacted advancing beyond the kalawet kana you come to the king's private tents which are surrounded by small kanates of the height of a man some lined with masilapatam chintz painted over with flowers of a hundred different kinds and others with figured satin decorated with deep silken fringes adjoining the royal tents are those of the begums or princesses and of the great ladies and principal female attendants of the seraglio these tents are also enclosed on every side by rich kanates and in the midst of them are the tents of the inferior female domestics and other women connected with the seraglio placed generally in much the same order according to the offices of the respective occupants the amkas and the five or six other principal tents are elevated above the rest as well for the sake of keeping off the heat as that they may be distinguished at a distance the outside is covered with a strong and coarse red cloth ornamented with large and variegated stripes 
but the inside is lined with beautiful hand-painted chintz manufactured for the purpose at maslapatam the ornamentation of which is set off by rich figured satin of various colours or embroideries of silk silver and gold with deep and elegant fringes cotton mats three or four inches in thickness are spread over the whole floor and these again are covered with a splendid carpet on which are placed large square brocade cushions to lean upon the tents are supported by painted and gilt pillars in each of the two tents wherein the king and nobility meet for deliberation is erected a stage which is most sumptuously adorned and the king gives audience under a spacious canopy of velvet or flowered silk the other tents have similar canopies and they also contain what are called cargoine or cabinets the little doors of which are secured by silver padlocks you may form some idea of them by picturing to yourself two small squares of our folding screens the one placed upon the other and both tied round with a silken cord in such a manner that the extremities of the sides of the upper square incline towards each other so as to form a kind of dome there is this difference however between the cargoine and our screens that all their sides are composed of very thin and light deal boards painted and gilt on the outside and embellished around with gold and silk fringe the inside is lined with scarlet flowered satin or brocade i believe that i have omitted nothing of consequence contained within the great square in describing what is to be seen without i shall first notice two handsome tents on either side of the grand entrance or royal gate here is to be seen a small number of the choicest horses saddled and superbly caparisoned ready to be mounted upon any emergency but intended rather for ceremony and parade on both sides of the same royal gate are ranged the fifty or sixty small field pieces of which the stirrup artillery is composed and which fire a salute when the king enters his tent by which the army is apprised of his arrival a free space as extensive as may be convenient or practicable is always kept in front of the royal entrance and at its extremity there is a large tent called Nagarkani that is drum-room because it contains the trumpets and the cymbals close to this tent is another of a large size called tchauki kane where the omras in rotation mount guard for twenty-four hours once every week most of them however order one of their own tents to be pitched in its immediate vicinity where they find themselves more comfortable and are in greater privacy within a short square of the three other sides of the great square are the tents of officers and others appropriated to particular purposes which unless there be local impediments are always placed in the same relative situation every one of these tents has its particular appellation but the names are difficult of pronunciation and as it is not within my scope to teach you the language of the country it may suffice to state that in one of them are deposited the arms of the king in a second the rich harnesses and in a third the vests of brocade which are the presents generally made by the king 
the fruits the sweetmeats the ganges water the saltpetre with which it is cooled and the betel are kept in four other tents betel is the leaf which after it has undergone a certain preparation is given as a mark of royal favour like coffee in turkey and which when masticated sweetens the breath and reddens the lips there are fifteen or sixteen other tents which serve for kitchens and their appurtenances and in the midst of all these are the tents of a great number of officers and attendants there are lastly six others of considerable length for led horses and other tents for choice elephants and for the animals employed in hunting for the birds of prey that invariably accompany the court and are intended both for show and for field sports for the dogs the leopards for catching antelopes the nilgo or grey oxen which i believe to be a species of elk the lions and rhinoceroses brought merely for parade the large bengal buffaloes which attack the lion the tamed antelopes frequently made to fight in the presence of the king the quarters of the monarch are understood to comprehend not only the great square but the numerous tents situated without the square to which i have just drawn your attention their position is always in the centre of the army or as much so as the nature of the ground will admit you will easily conceive that there is something very striking and magnificent in these royal quarters and that this vast assemblage of red tents placed in the centre of a numerous army produces a brilliant effect when seen from some neighbouring eminence especially if the country be open and offer no obstruction to the usual and regular distribution of the troops the first care of the grand quartermaster is as before remarked to choose a suitable situation for the royal tents the amkaz is elevated above every other tent because it is the landmark by which the order and disposition of the whole army is regulated he then marks out the royal bazaars from which all the troops are supplied the principal bazaar is laid out in the form of a wide street running through the whole extent of the army now on the right then on the left of the amkaz and always as much as possible in the direction of the next day's encampment the other royal bazaars which are neither so long nor so spacious generally cross this one some on one side and some on another side of the king's quarters all of them are distinguished by extremely long poles stuck in the ground at the distance of three hundred paces from each other bearing red standards and surmounted with the tails of the great tibet cows which have the appearance of so many periwigs the quartermaster then proceeds to plan the quarters for the omrahs that there may always be the same observance of regularity and that each nobleman may be placed at his usual distance from the royal square whether on the right or on the left so that no individual may be permitted to change the place allotted to him or which he expressed a wish to occupy before the commencement of the expedition the description i have given of the great square is in many particulars applicable to the quarters of the omrahs and rajahs in general they also have two paishkanis with a square of kanatis enclosing their principal tents and those of their wives outside this square are likewise pitched the tents of their officers and troopers and there is a bazaar in the form of a street consisting of small tents belonging to the followers of the army who supply it with forage 
rice butter and other necessary articles of life the omrahs need not therefore always have recourse to the royal bazaars where indeed everything may be procured almost the same as in the capital a long pole is planted at both ends of each bazaar and distinguished by a particular standard floating in the air as high as those of the royal bazaars in order that the different quarters may be readily discerned from a distance the chief omrahs and great rajas pride themselves on the loftiness of their tents which must not however be too conspicuous lest the king perceive it and command that the tents be thrown down as he did on our late march for the same reason the outside must not be entirely red there being none but the royal tents that can be of that colour and as a mark of proper respect every tent has also to front the amkas or quarters of the king the remainder of the ground between the quarters of the monarch those of the omrahs and the bazaars is filled with the tents of mansebdars or inferior omrahs of tradespeople of every description of civil officers and other persons who for various reasons follow the army and last of all the tents of those who serve in the light and heavy artillery the tents are therefore very numerous and cover a large extent of ground though with respect both to their number and the space occupied by them very extravagant notions are formed when the army halts in a fine and favourable country which leaves it at liberty to adopt the well understood rules and order of a circular encampment i do not believe that this space measures more than two leagues or perhaps two leagues and a half in circumference including here and there several spots of unoccupied ground it should be mentioned however that the heavy artillery which requires a great deal of room is commonly a day or two in advance of the army what is said of the strange confusion that prevails in the camp and of the alarm thereby occasioned to a newcomer is also much exaggerated a slight acquaintance with the method observed in the quartering of the troops will enable you to go without much difficulty from place to place as your business may require the king's quarters the tents and standards peculiar to every omrah and the incense and periwigs of the royal bazaars which are all seen from a great distance serving after a little experience for unerring guides sometimes indeed notwithstanding all these precautions there will be uncertainty and disorder particularly on the arrival of the army at the place of encampment in the morning when every one is actively employed in finding and establishing his own quarters the dust that arises often obscures the marks i have mentioned and it becomes impossible to distinguish the king's quarter the different bazaars or the tents of the several omrahs your progress is besides liable to be impeded by the tents then pitching and by the cords extended by inferior omrahs who have no paishkanis and by mansebdars to mark their respective boundaries and to prevent not only the public from passing through but the fixing of any strange tent near their own where their wives if accompanying them reside a horde of their lusty varlets with cudgels in their hands will not suffer these cords to be removed or lowered you then naturally retrace your steps and find that while you have been employed in unavailing efforts to pass at one end your retreat has been cut off at the other there is now no means of extricating 
your laden camels but by menace and entreaty outrageous passion and calm remonstrance seeming as if you would proceed to blows yet carefully abstaining from touching any one promoting a violent quarrel between the servants of both parties and afterward reconciling them for fear of the consequences and in this way taking advantage of a favourable moment to pass your camels but the greatest annoyance is perhaps in the evening when business calls you to any distance this is the time when the common people cook their victuals with a fire made of cow and camel dung and green wood the smoke of so many fires of this kind when there is little wind is highly offensive and involves the atmosphere in total darkness it was my fate to be overtaken three or four times by this wide-spreading vapour i inquired but could not find my way i turned and roamed about ignorant whither i went once i was obliged to stop until the smoke dispersed and the moon arose and at another time i with difficulty reached the aguacidie at the foot of which i passed the night with my horse and servant the aguacidie resembles a lofty mast of a ship but is very slender and takes down in three pieces it is fixed toward the king's quarters near the tent called nagarkane and during the night has a lighted lantern suspended from the top this light is very useful for it may be seen when every object is enveloped in impenetrable darkness to this spot persons who lose their way resort either to pass the night secure from all danger of robbers or to resume their search after their own lodgings the name aguacidie may be translated light of heaven the lantern when at a distance appearing like a star to prevent robberies every omra provides watchmen who continually perambulate his particular quarters during the night crying out kabr dar or have a care and there are guards posted round the whole army at every five hundred paces who kindle fires and also cry out kabr dar besides these precautions the katual or grand provost sends soldiers in every direction who especially pervade the bazaars crying out and sounding a trumpet notwithstanding all these measures robberies are often committed and it is prudent to be always on the alert not to rely too much on the vigilance of servants and to repose at an early hour so as to watch during the remainder of the night i will now proceed to describe the different modes of travelling adopted by the great mogul on these occasions most commonly he is carried on men's shoulders in a takht ravan or field throne wherein he sits this takht is a species of magnificent tabernacle with painted and gilt pillars and glass windows that are kept shut when the weather is bad the four poles of the litter are covered either with scarlet or brocade and decorated with the fringes of silk and gold at the end of each pole are stationed two strong and handsomely dressed men who are relieved by eight other men constantly in attendance sometimes the king rides on horseback especially when the weather is favourable for hunting and at other times he is carried by an elephant in a mikdember or in a house which is by far the most striking and splendid style of travelling as nothing can surpass the richness and magnificence of the harness and trappings the mikdember is a small house or square wooden tower gilt and painted and the house an oval chair with a canopy on pillars also superbly decorated with colours 
and gold in every march the king is accompanied by a great number of omras and rajas who follow him closely on horseback placing themselves promiscuously in a body without much method or regularity on the morning of a journey they assemble at break of day in the amkas with the exception of those who may be exempted by age or the nature of their office they find these marches very fatiguing especially on hunting days being exposed like a private soldier to the sun and dust frequently until three o'clock in the afternoon these luxurious lords move along very differently when not in the train of the king neither dust nor sun then annoys them but they are stretched as on a bed in a palaki closed and covered or not as may be found more agreeable sleeping at ease until they reach their tent where they are sure to find an excellent dinner the kitchen and every necessary article having been sent forward the preceding night immediately after supper the omrahs are always surrounded by a number of well-mounted cavaliers called gurs barters because they carry a kind of club or silver mace the king is also attended by many of them who go before him both on the right and on the left together with a multitude of footmen the gurs barters are picked good-looking men of fine figures and are employed to convey orders and dispatches with great sticks in their hands they drive everybody before them and keep the way clear for the king the coors follows the rajas surrounded by a large number of players on cymbals and trumpets the coors as i before observed consists of figures in silver representing strange animals hands balances fishes and other mystical objects borne at the end of large silver poles a numerous body of mansebdars or inferior omrahs comes next well mounted and equipped with sword quiver and arrows this body is much more numerous than that of omrahs which follows the king because not only the mansebdars who are on duty are obliged to assemble at break of day near the royal tent for the purpose of accompanying the king but there are many who join the train in the hope of attracting notice and preferment you are no doubt at a loss to conceive how so vast a number both of men and animals can be maintained in the field the best solution of the difficulty will be found in the temperance of the indians and simple nature of their diet of the five score thousand troopers not a tenth no not a twentieth part eat animal food they are satisfied with their kitchery a mess of rice and other vegetables over which when cooked they pour melted butter it should be considered too that camels endure fatigue hunger and thirst in a surprising degree live upon little and eat any kind of food at the end of every march they are left to browse in the fields where everything serves for fodder it is important likewise to observe that the same tradesmen who supply the bazaars in delhi are compelled to furnish them in the camp the shops of which they are composed being kept by the same persons whether in the capital or in the field these poor people are at great pains to procure forage 
they rove about from village to village and what they succeed in purchasing they endeavour to sell in the army at an advanced price it is a common practice with them to clear with a sort of trowel whole fields of a peculiar kind of grass which having beaten and washed they dispose of in the camp at a price sometimes very high and sometimes inadequately low End of section thirty this recording is in the public domain.